And hello out there to all you Mets teams, folks. This is the Converted Mets fan, Sam Maxwell, and you are here on the Mets team podcast. We are so very thankful you could join us. I don't know how I could be speechless at the beginning of a podcast uh, because I have to speak. I have to introduce everybody, but uh, I'm as close to speechless at the beginning of this podcast as it can get. Uh, for those of you that have been running around uh, and and uh, just needed to get right into a Metzian podcast, you've just been lining your entire day up for this podcast and haven't heard of anything else. The Mets have just traded for Marcus Stroman of the Toronto Blue Jays, a, a pitcher, and uh, sources confirm left-handed pitcher Anthony Kay and right-handed pitcher Simeon Woods-Richardson are the pitchers going to Toronto. So, uh, without further ado, welcome to our trade deadline special. And let me bring on our uh, featured guest. Uh, uh, but before I do that, let me just say hello to somebody that I like to call Lekolons sometimes, Lekolons occasionally, but we know him here as Bensonhurst Mike. What's going on? What do you say, my friend? Hanging out? Uh, you told me to burn my notes, so I'm just looking at two blank pieces of paper here. So let's get started. Well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually curious as to what those notes would have been, but we'll have to get back to that. Uh, also, <laughs> uh, just joining us as well is our uh, other co-conspirator, and that is Rich Spirago of Connecticut. What's going on, Rich? Hey, well, um, a lot going on in Mets world, and I'm sure we're going to dive into that pretty soon. So it was a fun day of baseball to watch him sweep the Pirates, and who knew what was coming when that game ended? We have a lot to talk about. We do, and uh, without further ado, let me bring on my featured guest. It is the uh, Clean Baseball Convention co-founder, Keith Blacknick. And, Keith, I wanted to discuss so much before this Marcus Stroman trade before we led with any trade deadline stuff, but I, I guess we're going to have to put that on the back burner. But before we put everything else on the back burner, go ahead with your shameless plug, please. So, uh, queensbaseballconvention.com. Um, the Queens Baseball Convention is the Mets fan fest because the Mets won't do one. Uh, I was doing it for six years now. It's a good time every year in January. I don't know if any of you guys have been there before, but uh, we try to do what – uh, fan fest that we want to see. I have been to the Queens Baseball Convention, and it is always such a great time. And uh, I do have some questions about it that kind of play into what we're going to talk about regarding the Wilpons and the way they operate. I'm sure that's going to come up at some point based off of this trade. Um, so, Keith, let's let's start with you. Mets. Trade for Marcus Stroman, an excellent pitcher who is uh, going to be in his walk year next year. What are your initial thoughts about the deal? Well, first of all, I was driving back down from Syracuse when I uh, did a little pit stop, and I just checked my Twitter feed, and I was like, um, my cousin over at Mets Place is like, it's not official until media goes to Models. I'm like, what is he talking about? So I perused <laughs> a little more. I was like, I was like, Stroman? I'm like, I'm like, all right. It pretty much means that Syndergaard or Wheeler is going to get dealt within the next few days. Yeah, um, overall, uh, I would trade, say so. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And, uh, I was going to say overall with the trade with Stroman, I mean, like how could you not do that for a couple of uh, prospects? You know, even if he has a walk here next year, who knows if the Mets, you know, decide that, hey, we might be contenders, maybe it'll give him a, a couple, you know, the money that he might want to extend the contract. You have to do that. 
you know, they could always trade him if they don't want to keep that contract. That's, that's a great point. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different scenarios that we could see unfolding here. Initial thoughts on this are let's wait and see how the, uh, the rest of the trade deadline goes. Other ones include I hate this team. Uh, they set us back for another five years. And God fucking damn it, GMBBW is running this team's future into the ground. Rich, where do you fall with all of this? <laughs> well, I, I think the jury is out on it. You know, you can't – it's hard to judge this right now. But here's what I think is happening. And if what I think is happening is what's happening, I have to say it, it, it's not bad. Here, play this one out. It seems to me that Brody's lieutenants like Baird and, and Omar might have said, look, why don't we try this for a strategy? Let's get Stroman. And now we have the three most sought-after pitchers, maybe Bowers in there too from the Indians, but we have three of the most sought-after pitchers going into the deadline. We could trade one of them, and we could get a king's ransom for them because these teams need pitching. We've now – almost cornered the market they have to come to us and we could say you want a starter you're going to pay through the nose and make them pay through the nose to get one so if that in fact was the thought process let's get this guy let's make the road to good pitching run through flushing and then they're going to turn around and whether they flip stroman whether they they trade Syndergaard, obviously wheeler will have less value but if they move one of these guys for a package of close to major league ready prospects to fill some of the void. You know, I'm willing to give them the three days until the trade deadline to see how this plays out. But, but I think there's a real chance. This could be a really good thing. Of course it could be a bad thing, but I think, I think there's a chance this could be a good thing. I think that everybody's uh, worst nightmare. It seems is that this is just Casimir all over again. Mike, what are your thoughts on it? I'm conflicted. I really am. Uh, if they leave things as is, just pick up Stroman and do nothing else, I'd be happier uh, than, say, trading Syndergaard. I'm not sure what their plan is. Here we are four months into the season. You know, he spent Brody, that is, spent the whole off season reshuffling this team, and, and four months later they're in panic mode. And I'm uncomfortable with that. Uh, this much is certain. He's completely emptied out the minor league system, so they have to start from scratch no matter what they do from this point forward. Uh, Anthony K. Simeon Woods Richardson? I don't know. Still conflicted. Uh, I, I, I just need clarification as to what they're doing, what direction they're heading in. Uh, maybe that would lend some context, but as of right now, I don't want to get carried away. Uh, I don't want to understate things. I don't want to overstate things. It is what it is, but I'll tell you, and I'll repeat, if they just leave things as is and continue forward with the acquisition of Stroman in and of itself, I'd be very happy. Uh, Rich and I were at the game last night, and very quickly, you know, I do not believe this team can be this bad this long. Eventually, the laws of averages are going to take over, and I do believe they're going to finish strong only because they can't be this bad that long. Uh, you know, so I, I do expect a strong finish. If, if for no other reason, you know, that things just, they, they, they have to straighten out, I, I would think. 
So let's continue with the conversation. Uh, I'm I'm just a little conflicted. I got no major issues, but uh, I need some I need some more clarity into their into their machinations. Well, you know, for me, um, I would believe uh, much more highly in this team had a, uh, it not been for the Giants series and also the way this uh, current game ended. The crazy thing is that. Uh, they currently stand six games behind the Washington Nationals uh, and the St. Louis uh, Cardinals. Actually, it's a three-way tie for the entire wild card right now. Cubs, St. Louis, Washington, all at 56 and 49. Um, Keith, the crazy part is that even with the Giants uh, series, even with uh, you know the bullpen kind of suffering a little bit today, although they they held strong, of course. Um, they have jumped over a few teams that they've needed to jump over since they got back from the break and now currently stand five games over 500. And it makes you wonder, like, where they could be had they not had such a miserable, miserable time in San Francisco. But currently they have Arizona, San Francisco, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, not to mention the three teams currently tied for the wild card. Um if, if they're trading Syndergaard to retool the farm system, is that are they still not necessarily selling at their current their current state? What, what what strategy do you take with where the the Mets currently are? Well, I actually think they they should have traded Syndergaard two years ago. Um, with with Syndergaard, I think I I just don't think the the Mets are going to do well with him. I kind of feel like uh, he's going to be Harvey 2.0 um, just from like the personality I've been getting from him and, and from just things I hear around. Um, I, I don't think that he's really cut out for New York, even though he had that big bravado a few years ago. Uh, I think that he's, he's not for here. And if we, as Mets fans could see, I, I don't really know if I want all prospects. I'd rather have somebody from a center fielder that can play all the time, you know, that's a 25-man ready player, and then maybe a couple of prospects after that. But if you're going to trade them, you got to get a pretty decent haul. Rich, is that the direction they need to go here? Try to get some of these uh, uh, players that are playing out of position in order, because that obviously keeps biting the mess, uh, even if they've been performing better lately. Um. Sam, you took the words out of my mouth. I mean, I, for one, it bothers me probably more than it should watching this. I I can't stand players playing out of position, especially when they didn't, you know, learn the new position in the minor leagues the right way. You know, Dom Smith takes 40 fly balls, and all of a sudden he's a left fielder, and you see what happens. And and I I absolutely – it's my pet peeve. So to answer your question, yes, if they could go to – just hear me out on this one. If they go, if they send Noah to Houston, Houston, you, of course you need more than this, but they have, they're very stocked in the outfield. They have this player named, named Miles Straw. And I saw his name tweeted by DeComo, and I read about him. He's on their 25-man roster. He's basically their fourth or fifth outfielder, but he's a highly rated prospect in their organization. Everything I've read would suggest he's, minus the personality, of course, a Lenny Dykstra type. Lightning fast, 
outstanding glove in center field, and in limited at-bats, he's actually hitting 275 last I checked a few days ago with Houston. And again, and again, that's in a backup role. So this is a guy who at least now you have a natural center fielder. Think about what that does for the Mets right away. You have a guy who can go get it and play center field. You have Conforto now on a corner. If you get you, if you can get Nimmo back, you can put him back in the outfield. You can put McNeil in the infield, assuming you know they, they make a few moves in the infield, get rid of Frazier and such, or maybe get more playing time for J.D. Davis. You could start getting guys in their natural positions, which will improve the defense. Having a guy like Miles Straw in center field would automatically improve center field defense and probably the corners as well. So that's the kind of thing I want them to do. You, know, you get a Miles Straw back or someone like that. They have another guy named Tucker somebody in the Houston system who's also an outfielder who's pretty coveted. So you get, you get somebody who can slot into center field, maybe a pitcher or two back, you know, minor league pitcher or two, to replace what you just traded. And now it all starts to make sense. Now, and sure, you know, Noah, he's been a part of this, the whole Thor thing and, and all of that. But you know what? You've, you've got to trade something to get something. And to me, the hemorrhage right now is with these guys playing out of position and the abysmal defense this team has. So that's what I would do. I would try to plug some of the holes, get guys to start playing their natural positions, and maybe get a prospect or two back to replace what you traded. That's what I would do. Mike, one of the things people keep mentioning is that Marcus Stroman is a, uh, a ground ball pitcher, and that the Mets have the worst defense in the infield. Um, but I think that we've also seen Ahmed Rosario coming around. Uh, um, it, it, it's been better of late, even if you cannot erase what the numbers ha- had settled, what you know had settled in. Um, it, it sounds like the biggest issue the Mets have is people playing out of position. I think we can all agree on that. So you know, is that the direction you go with the, the Thor uh, trade, which it sounds like, according to sources, is the next move? I'm in lockstep with Rich. Uh, you know me, I like being strong up the middle. So that involves catcher, second base, short, and center field. If we can get bodies to help rectify those situations, I'm all for it. You nailed it, uh, Sam, uh, about Sherman being a ground bowl pitcher. He, he, he induces ground balls at a rate of 56%. It's funny that in the minor leagues, he was more of a strikeout pitcher, not so much in the major leagues. Uh, and this year I noticed that uh, he's throwing his cutter and curveball a lot more at the expense of his fastball. Not a big fan of that. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of fastballs, you know, low, high, in and out. That's four pitches right there. So uh, without getting too nitpicky, yeah, if they can – they can, uh, you know, transact Thor or, or even Wheeler and address some of these defensive issues, then, you know, it, it seems to make more sense. Uh, it would be more conducive for a guy like Stroman and the other pitchers to get in there and, and, and try to pitch their game on their terms and, and try to induce batters, you know, into atom balls and ground balls and whatnot. Keith, it also looks like we have a local boy coming home. He's from Medford, New York, and the, the tweet that is uh, trending right now is a photo of him as a kid in a Mets jersey, a Mets jacket, excuse me. Um, it, it, it seems like the initial reaction, you know, coming out of the, the locker room was that he left the locker room upset. But, um, you know, I, I guess one way or the other, if, there, if there's a Keith Hernandez situation on our hands, uh, it bodes well if, if uh, the trend continues that way, one way or the other. 
even if he's now playing playing uh, you know nice. Yeah, I mean, if I heard the the same thing too, I was listening to the radio. Um, you know what? If he's upset to come here, you're a baseball player you're getting paid to play. Just do your job, pitch yourself out of the city, then do well. Maybe they'll, you know, either you'll get paid by the Mets or you're going to get paid on your walk year from another team. So just do your job, and it doesn't matter where you are at this point. Right. Yes, that's that's a great point. Um, Rich, you know, I've I really appreciated Marcus Stroman for a long time now, and it, it's just yet again, you know, a pitcher that I, I would have loved to see the Mets get uh, a long time ago, but it, it, I didn't realize how short his career has been. I mean, he was only a rookie in 2014. Yeah, right, exactly. And if you look at his career numbers, um they're good. You know, they're they're they don't they're not outstanding, like they're not DeGrom like, but he's in that next tier of pitcher. Like he's he's not in the DeGrom Scherzer category, but he's definitely in that next tier, a very good major league pitcher. He's you know, ground ball pitcher, like you know, we talked about and his ground ball rate has gone down, which would suggest that you know, maybe guys are elevating his pitches a little bit more, and, and that might not bode well for him. But he's still young. He's 28 years old. And, you know, and like Keith said, he's, he'll, he'll be here. He's signed for the year and a half. Let's see how it goes. And I love your analogy of Keith Hernandez because Keith will be the first one to tell you. He, say, no, he says all the time he cried when he got traded to the Mets. He's the last place he wanted to be. But when he got here, the, the relationship with Rusty Staub was great. He saw the team was, you know, doing some good things. You never know what's going to happen. So I put no stock whatsoever in that report that well, – actually, the report I saw was that there was yelling inside the clubhouse, and no one really said it was him. I mean, it could have been the Blue Jays just like, oh, man, you know, we're waving the white flag. Bye-bye, this is our guy. Who knows? And I didn't – unless you did. If someone else, correct me. But um, I did not right. hear that it was Stroman make, making the, the, the fuss. So, um, you know, let him come back to New York where he's from. Let him meet the guys. Let him. I'm hearing some people are saying he'll dominate the National League because he's the kind of pitcher he is. Let him have some success in the National League and see where it goes. And and if he's a hot commodity, you know, next year and doesn't want to be here, trade him and get something for him. But if he likes it, great. You know, I I, I don't know. I, I the negative reaction on Twitter I think was very oh. knee jerk, and I, I I don't think it's warranted. Mike, you know, one of the things I keep thinking about how Twitter had been saying they needed to replace Jason Vargas, <laughs> and, and now they, they bring a pitcher in who's better than Jason Vargas, and everybody's upset. It, it's, it, it's just funny the way this, this new media cycle works. I mean, you know, we, we can't even, for one thing, we can't even go with the notes that we, we started with here, like we said, because of how quickly everything happens. Well, I was taught long ago, never get your news from one source. So, you know, you take Twitter with a grain of salt. Uh, people like to react. People like to be funny, and they like to stick out from a crowd. They like to say, you know, uh, wild and crazy things. I think if uh, you just keep everything in perspective and, you know, weed out the outrageous, uh, you know, in a sense, a lot of this builds up, and I, I feel like some fans are are justified in their frustrations. And then, you know, on the other hand, we do get out of control. Uh, but, again, I was taught never to get all your news information uh, from one source. So I'll read Twitter. 
uh, I'll read some of the media outlets, the tabloids, you know, and stuff like that and form an opinion then. So, you know, Twitter is more entertainment. It's fun. It's fun with friends. It's fun with Internet friends. But uh, it's it's still fantasy land, and it needs to be uh, regarded as such. I Better words not uh, spoken before. It, it, that's put it, put it perfectly. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people do just fall too a uh, victim to the the current uh, outrage state. And you know, Keith, it, it's it, it's it's a hard balance because you you or some you know you recognize that you yourself can can do that sometimes, but at the same time. Like you try to take a step back and 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 you know take a look at all the the entire picture, if you will. Uh, but we all fall victim to it for sure. But some more than others. Yeah, I just I my whole thing is now I'm different from a few years ago where I was like, all right, you know, let's figure this out. How's this going to happen? How's this going to happen? Now I'm just like, you know what? I'm waiting to see. I, I see. Uh, you know, from what I hear from like different people, I, I I know a little more stuff going on in uh going on in the back, and I hear like how players are interacting with other players and stuff, and um, I I just think a a thing with a team besides the talent is the chemistry, and you know maybe Stroman when he comes in, he's gonna you know have a couple of couple of conversations with the players that are already here start liking New York and then they they start gelling. So not only are you getting the uh the uh talent here, you're also getting the personalities that will fit better and gel better. And then the people that are on Twitter, I don't even pay attention to them anymore. I used to fight people all the time. I'm just like whatever now. So like if if you have if this is your opinion, you have your opinion. If you're right, you're right. If you're wrong, you're wrong. It doesn't affect me anymore. And I'm not even on Twitter as much as I used to be. Yeah, and that's that's what ends up happening, too, is that, uh, uh, Rich, I'll go to you next. Sometimes you just have to take a step back and just recognize that you can't get into these little these little tit-for-tats with everybody, you know, because otherwise it just makes you worse. Exactly. You know, I, I, I don't want to go into the details, but I had one with, with a, a guy today about something I said, and he came back at me. He was like, fine, it's your opinion, this is mine, and I just dropped it. I, I didn't go back at him. But anyway, um, so speaking of Twitter, uh, 16 minutes ago, Marcus Stroman tweeted, New York, where I was born, where my heart lies, where my family resides, crazy excited for this part of my journey. Some things were meant to be at Mets, and, and he put a picture of himself as a, as a young child wearing a Mets jacket. So this does not sound like a man who's unhappy being a Met. Um, I, I really don't think so. So, um, so there's that. But yeah, you're right. You know, the whole Twitter thing. Let's face it. I I, I was refreshing Twitter every nanosecond after I saw I, the trades. I wanted to see what the Mets were giving back. I think we're all doing that. It's a great way to get information quickly. Um, it's like anything else. You know, it's like people say about television. You know, television is bad. Like if you watch me. Television is bad if you use it in, improperly. If you let it be a human babysitter for your kids, sure it's bad. But don't, it's not automatically bad. Like Twitter, there are good parts of it, and if you use it to get instant information, you can't beat that. But if you use it to get into tit for tat with people, which I think we've all done at various times, 
It's bad. So, yeah, Twitter and, and the whole social media thing to me, if you keep it in context and use it for its good, fantastic. If you get sucked into the, into the vortex of bad, well, yeah, it goes, it goes wrong on you. Keith, obviously we know what you think about uh, the possibility of the Mets trading Syndergaard. So let's go into a different direction. What else do you think the Mets need to be doing as they approach the deadline? Who are some other names uh, involved here that you would like to, to see move? I mean, if you can free up Frazier from third, that way McNeil can go back to playing third, like more natural position for him. I think that would help out, you know, the defense in the infield. Uh, Frazier's not horrible, but I also don't think, you know, after this year, he's not coming back. So you might as well just start, you know, going on with the future. Um, I don't mind seeing Vargas go. I don't mind seeing uh, Wheeler go. Um, I don't don't know if this team actually is going to be able to catch the wild card, you know, the second wild card. So, you know, you want to get rid of, uh, you know, Ramos too. You can get rid of him as long as you're getting back quality players or quality prospects. Ever, pretty much anybody can go. Well except said, for, uh, Rich. Yeah, except for no, sorry, uh, sorry, except for except for Alonzo and you know McNeil and Degrom, but everybody else is fair game. Right. Would you, uh, Rich, want them to move? I mean, well, we, I think we all agree that Todd Frazier would be a good move, but it, it, do you think that that means J.D. Davis just takes over third, or would you rather see McNeil move to third? What, what, what direction would you go? Well, I think you have to get Frazier out because, you know, he, he's just taking up a spot at this point. You have a lot of things you could do once you get rid of Frazier. You could move McNeil back into the infield again, depending upon other moves you might make, but you now would have an option to play McNeil at third, which a lot of people say is actually his best position. If you don't do that, you could play J.D. Davis, who I'm a big fan of. You know, J.D. Davis is, he's not quite the glove Frazier is. I think that's a fair statement, but offensively, this kid could rake. I mean, look at this kid. He's hitting 300. So it opens up options. You know, I think what I want to see them do I want to see Frazier gone. The thing about getting rid of Ramos, as much as I am not a fan, um, they need a catcher. I mean, you can't just go with Nito and who else? I mean, do we even know who the AAA catchers are? So, you know, you have, to have, you have to have a backstop, and I'm not sure who that would be, what the backup plan would be. So Ramos, you know, for that. Um, two other quick comments on, on trade deadline. I, I would love to see them move Dom Smith. It, it, come on. You know, he's not an outfielder. You have your first base in the future. Turn Dom Smith into something. If not at the deadline in the offseason, there's no need for him to be on this team. I like Dom Smith a lot, but come on. He doesn't belong here at this point, given the, the construct of the roster. And then the other thing I'm concerned about is, why in the world would they trade Edwin Diaz? I, can someone explain that to me? Uh, yes, I know he's been bad. You'd be selling low on somebody you paid very high for. That's thing number one. If you want to contend in 2020, why would you trade a closer with three more years of team control? Why would you even think about that? Yeah. Now, if you're I, I, I was, you, you stole the words right out of my mouth, Rich. I'm sorry to cut you off, but yeah, go ahead. No, no I think that basically, you know, if you, if you make a commitment to rebuild like the, like the Braves did 
when they traded Kimbrell before the 15 season. Okay, fine. That old cliche, you don't need a closer if you're rebuilding because you don't care about winning games. Fine. But if you're telling people, we want to contend in 2020, so we're going to take this guy who was the best closer in baseball last year, and we have him for three more years, and we paid a dear price for him, but we're going to trade him for, you know, 20 cents on the dollar right now. Uh, are you kidding me? What are you doing? So, and it's, I, I would hate to see him go. Apparently the, the Braves want relievers. I'd rather vomit than see him go to the Braves. Um, I don't want to see him go to the Dodgers. I don't want to see him go anywhere. You know, let, let's let's fix this kid and keep him here. So those are my deadline thoughts. Frazier has to go. Um, you know, Ramos, if they can, if, as long as you can get a catcher back. And Dom needs to go, and, and please don't trade Diaz. Mike, just as we're talking about this, and I was thinking the same thing, uh, was that why would you just give up on, on somebody when you're most likely not going to be getting the same haul back? Um, and I'm glad you brought up Diaz. Uh, just as we were talking about this, Andy Martino has tweeted, packaging Wheeler with Diaz, still a possibility per source. But we know that, you know, this is, this is, it's the time that we're just going to keep hearing things thrown against the wall. Everything's a possibility. It, and, and it's the funny the way things are worded. But, Mike, are you with us, with Edwin Diaz? Where, where, what's your take on this whole thing? Well, two takes. First and foremost, trading him would be complete folly after, as you say, the price we paid to acquire him. Uh, but you're also, you know, talking about a, a closet demolitions expert. I'm the first one to blow things up, you know. So when you start trading players, to me it's a domino effect. I'll trade them all. So I'm perhaps not the right person to ask about this because I'll wipe this whole thing out. I, I don't believe in half-stepping. That's why I need a little bit more context before I go off the rails. Uh, but, yes, Ed, you know, trading Edwin Diaz after the off-season acquisition, considering what we gave up to acquire him, if the Mets want to paint this as he was the feature player in that transaction, well, then trading him would be complete folly because I don't think they would recruit what they paid to, to acquire him. Uh, that said, uh, you know, Dom Smith, for as much as uh, I, I find him agreeable, uh, he just doesn't fit into this picture, not with Alonzo on the scene. So, you know, maximize that. Uh, Frazier, Frazier it, it brings up another conversation that, Rich, you and I had last night. You know, if you're playing Frazier every day, that tells me you're trying to win now. You're desperate for wins now. But if you're going to trade four, well, that tells me you're going into rebuild. So which is it? And I'll cycle back to what you guys said. Yes, it's time for Frazier to get off the field. Give that. I, I'd give. I give Jeff McNeil first shot. I'd ask him, what do you prefer? Do you prefer to play in the outfield or do you prefer to play third base? And whatever his answer may be, let it be and put him there. And then I would see how I fit J.D. Davis into the equation. But Frazier needs to step aside for the sake of this team moving forward because uh, we're not uh, – there's no discovery here with him occupying third base. We need to find answers elsewhere because he's certainly not a part of the future. You are listening to a Mets team podcast, and we are so very thankful you are. Uh, Looping back around, keeping with the Edwin Diaz talk, Keith, what's your take on that? Uh, I mean – to trade for him in the off season, I don't think you can give up on him right away. But like I said before, if somebody blows you away with an offer, even if you package him 
with another player like a Frazier, and you know you're going to get back at least one or two players that are MLB-ready or high prospects, then you have to take a look at it. If he stays, he stays. And, you know, either way, as long as you make good on the trade from the offseason where he plays well from now on or you get quality players for him, as long as it's a win, it doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, and and Rich, could this be also a situation, um, you know, that uh, obviously this is a mess, and we're not talking about the Yankees uh, necessarily because things don't necessarily always go uh, for the mess the way it goes when the Yankees do something uh, of this nature. But uh, the Yankees, when they entered a quote-unquote rebuild, and, and Brian Cashman probably had the trade deadline that solidified his potential Hall of Fame career, um, a few years ago, and getting people like uh, um, how am I just spacing on the name? Uh, uh, anyway, forget that. Obviously, I'm, they, uh, I'm having brain cards. They traded Chapman but... for uh, Gleyber Torres, and they Gleyber traded. Uh, Thank you. Thank Andrew you. Miller for um, for uh, the other guy they have there, uh, Andujar. Yes. Right. Exactly. Andujar. Thank you so much. And. and uh, they ended up finishing over 500 when many people thought they were giving up on the season. Obviously, they didn't make the playoffs at the time, but it, it could be, you know, if everything goes well, that this might not also be waving the white flag if you trade somebody like Noah Syndergaard. No, 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 no. And and to me, absolutely not. You know, if if you trade Noah Syndergaard now and you get a good haul back, I think you've kind of done something I've said on this podcast that I wanted them to do for a long time, which is you could buy and sell simultaneously. You know, you, you use the pieces you have where you may have an abundance to bring in things you need. And to me, that's buy-sell mode. You know, you're not tearing it down. You're not entirely buying. You're, you're sort of trying to be smart. Now, that, I know that's a statement we don't use with the Mets very often, and I'm not suggesting that the Mets are smart. What I'm saying is, they could they could employ that strategy of saying, you know, we're, we're going to move pieces around with the goal of shoring up our weaknesses. So, you know, you trade here, maybe it looks like you're selling there, but it looks like you're buying here, and, and you end up trying to have a more complete roster because I think at the end of the day, all four of us would agree that the number one thing this team needs is they have to straighten this roster out. It, it's a jigsaw puzzle with the pieces not coming together. They've got to put together a real baseball team with outfielders and infielders and, and people playing where they're supposed to play and, and you know, complementary pieces and all of that. And if the way to do it is to, in some cases, trade a veteran and in other cases acquire one simultaneously, sure, why not? Going back to Marcus Stroman, Mike, uh, he's, his uh, Twitter feed is kind of blowing up right now. His last tweet uh, – it is a mood LGM Mets, and it has a picture of 50 Cent. And one of the, the tweets that I, I forget exactly what he was responding to, uh, but, I, oh, yeah, it was actually our old friend JT Tehran uh, saying that, I hope not, bro, and he shows a, a, a gif of um, 50 Cent's ball going off past, you know, uh, to the side, to the left. And Marcus responded, hopefully with better command, LOL. So, it does look like we, we do have somebody who is pumped to come back to New York right now. 
that's a good thing. You know, that doesn't necessarily work for everyone. Look what happened to Daryl Strawberry when he went home. Sometimes that doesn't work out. Sometimes it does. But he certainly uh, seems to have the the proper frame of mind to deal with New York. He understands it. He's been conditioned to it. He grew up in it. He understands it. So uh, no no problems there. I, I, I became a big fan of his actually during the uh, the World Baseball Classic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he's got a fan in his corner in me, uh, and, and I foresee no problems with him coming home. Uh, again, that hasn't always been the case with other players. No fear here. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so uh, fearful for sure. And, you know, if he keeps pitching the way he has this year, you know, we're in for, for uh, quite the treat. Um, Keith. I, I kind of getting a little bit off of the trade deadline. I kind of want to go to how certain players have been performing since the all-star game. I, I've been wondering, you know, every, everybody wants to run a, a little too quickly in my mind with the whole home run derby, uh, 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 the, the home run derby curse, if you will. Um, now, you know, Alonzo's he's been collecting his RBIs. He's been collecting some home runs, but his average has dropped. Uh, like about 25 points since the All-Star break. So what what is your take right now, even though the Mets have been playing well, what is your take on where Alonzo uh, currently stands? With Alonzo, he's never played a full season up in, uh, up in the big leagues before. So who knows how how his conditioning is, you know, going through a whole season. And then add the home runs everywhere. He basically tired himself out, not as much as Guerrero. And you know Guerrero did, but you know he tired himself out just swinging. So it might be a little while till he gets rested again, where he can you know pick up from where he was from behind before the All Star game. But I, I think it's just a natural possession, uh, a natural um, way that a, a player that's never been up in the big leagues before will get tired before the uh, the season ends, and then you add that with the All Star game. Of course, his, his uh, average is going to drop. Keith brings up uh, some good points, Rich, there uh, about it. And, and, you know, the power has stayed, obviously. He still looks like he, he's on trajectory to, to really battle for this rookie record, I, I, I believe. And I think that Pete, we've seen Pete Alonso uh, come back around and, and, and retool after having a, a slump before at some point this season. So, um, you know, grouped also in with where – Jeff McNeil's average has dropped. Uh, what, what is your take on, on these players since the All-Star game? Natural rookie regression. I think, you know, the, as as much as we love our guys, uh, who who was it who said the other guys are trying, they get paid to, they're trying to win. So when teams are game planning for the Mets, they've got more film and more scouting on McNeil and Alonzo than they did in April. It's just natural. And so they, they identify weaknesses, they identify Here's how we'll get Alonzo out. You know, he's now played 100 games in the major leagues, so we see a hole here and a hole here. Uh, McNeil the same way. And and these guys, they'll adjust back. I'm, I'm not concerned at all. I don't think in Alonzo's case it's the home run derby thing at all. I think it's just, you know, the Mets are playing against major league competition. They're playing against the best in the world, and, and they're adjusting as they, as they would for anyone. So I think it's just that. I, I think – uh, like I think Keith just said, that um, they'll, these two guys will adjust back and the pendulum will swing back in their favor. I'm confident of it. 
Mike, you know, the Mets have been playing better baseball, even if these players have regressed a little bit. Uh, I, I guess, you know, what, what will you take? Uh, W's and, and a better bullpen over these guys uh, having made, you know, monster games and, and losses? Well, you know, monster games and losses, who wants that? I'd rather win one nothing every night on three hits. Uh, you know, this is the part of the season where team trainers come into play. Uh, they're the unknown soldier in this whole thing. The dog days of summer are dead ahead. And once upon a time, at least when I was a kid, you know, you would hear about position players shaving an ounce off their bat. Uh, you would hear them talking about losing a few pounds during the summer. Uh, I think the problem with today's athletes is they're too proud uh, to, to change their routines. Uh, I think they can, in their minds at least, they think they can overwork and outmuscle any deviations from previous months of the season. Uh so I, I think there's a certain approach, a, a certain uh, Superman element to this whole modern-day athlete. Uh, and sometimes it's it's worthwhile to go a little old school or at least investigate, you know, what made other players in, in different generations uh, so successful. Uh, but, you know, that, that's, a, that's a, a horse of another garage. Uh, training, diet, <laughs> hydration. I, I do believe all that plays a part. The season is long. And, again, I'll bring up the law of averages. You know, this team with this talent cannot be that bad this long. Things will change. The laws of averages say that. You know, just like flipping a quarter 50 times. We're 100 and what, 104 games into the season. So once we hit the century mark, you know, you have – a, a, a perfect uh, a, a perfect size sample of what your team is, you know. So it is what it is, Sam. You know, it, it's we're at the point in the podcast uh, and the night when you just keep refreshing Twitter, wondering what the next information uh, that you're going to see and whether the Mets are done for the night. I mean. Anything could drop at any second, and uh, quickly do our words become uh, uh, past fodder. <laughs> and it's uh, it's 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 both fun, exhilarating, and exhausting, uh, Keith. It's it's really quite the the media market that we're currently in. Well, I'll be up at one o'clock in the morning for work, so if anything does break, I'll I'll hear about it. <laughs> Well, I think this would be a good time to kind of loop over to the uh, the Queens Baseball Convention, Keith. And, uh, you know, I said that we'd probably bring up the Wilpons at some point. And I think we did kind of just when talking about some of these, these uh, you know, the cashmere trade. And, and, and I think it's the jury is still out as to what this year is going to look like one way or the other. We, we all know that we are as frustrated as, as arguably ever before about uh, – the current ownership and the way they do business. And, and so my question for you regarding the Queens baseball convention is, it, it, you know, you've done such a great job and, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's something that you're obviously very passionate about. Would you be just 
extremely happy and willing to to give it up if the Mets ever did right by their fans and actually had what other fan bases what other fan bases uh, are able to have, which is a a team run fan fest. Um, well, the whole idea of the Queens Baseball Convention of us starting it was trying to bluff the Mets into doing their own. Um, at this point, I think it would benefit the Mets and would benefit us if we actually like kind of joined forces somehow. I don't know how that would happen, if it would ever happen, but if we were able to do that, I think, I think it would be great to be able to have the uh, – the uh, QBC at City Field, and maybe be able to make use of some of the amenities, and maybe get some other stuff that we haven't had before at the QBC. Like um, this past year, you know, with our with um, SNY being a sponsor, we were able to get David Wright um, accepting the Gil Hodges Award, you know, on video, so that way we could show it to the the crowd. Um, um, the other thing that was we were trying to do was get Brody and David to actually come to the QPC last year, and there was a possibility that it might have happened, but they were both in California during the Justin Wilson trade. I mean, J- Justin Wilson signing, and I found that out from Brody because I'm also on the Mets fan advisory board, too. That's a new thing that they started this year, and I'm one of the people on it, and I got to meet Brody and he's very interested about the QBC and what it's all about too. That's great to hear too. And Rich, that's something that we've discussed uh, on here before is, is the Mets having fan ambassadors kind of, you know, having a better idea of the pulse of, of the fan base. And I, I think that sometimes it's overblown how disconnected they are. Uh, but may, you know, we, we we started giving the on some credit this offseason, and maybe it's time, as as frustrating as they can be, to, to after hearing that, that they do have uh, this fan advisory board, um, that they are trying to, to, to connect to the pulse of the fan base. Yeah, I mean, any business is going to do that, and any business worth its salt is going to, you know, try to connect with its customer base and at least understand what they're thinking. Um, my question back to Keith, though, because this is the first I'm hearing of it. I, I, if, I, if I should have known and missed it, I'm sorry, but I didn't realize they had a fan advisory board. So, so my question to Keith is, what do they ask you? I mean, what, what are, they, are they talking about amenities at City Field, or are they talking about direction of the team? I, I'm fascinated to hear. So early, earlier, I think it was maybe – November or was either um, October, November, they actually put a thing on Twitter that, you know, Hey, you know, if you guys want to, if you guys want to join the Mets fan advisory board, apply here and we'll, you know, we'll go through the selections and see who, who we want. And, and they tried to get a, a pretty big swath of different Mets fans. So there's, you know, a couple of bloggers, a couple of, uh, couple of people that are just from Twitter. They got um, people with blog, um, with podcasts from overseas in, in Ireland. And what they're trying to do is like they want they, they want to fix like their social media so they're not tone deaf with that. They want to listen to if there's any kind of like 
complaints going on on Twitter or like Facebook and they hear stuff that's going on from other fans like, hey, this is what's going on. So it might not, it's more like a social media fan advisory board, but those guys kick up everything up top if, when they hear a complaint or they hear something's going good and they, they try to make the, they try to make the experience of going to City Field better. Um, when Brody came in the first meeting to talk to us, he was asking what we thought about the, the trades in the offseason and uh, the way the team was looking and do we have faith in the, the way the team was being built. And They're, they're trying to, to listen to the fans more. Um, me personally, I get a lot of, from, from be, doing the QBC and have being part of Mets Police in the past, and having um, my website, the media group, um, the Mets, like VPs and customer service and guest relations, they all, they actually listen to me. And if I see something going on in City Field, like I'll bring it to their attention. They'll call me up and ask me what I think about it, what I saw, and they'll try to correct it. Uh, That's Mike, good. do you have any questions about – yeah, sorry, Rich, go ahead. No, I was saying that's great. I, I, I'm glad they do that. Um, I'm glad because the fan experience at City Field, I, I think, is generally pretty good. I mean, you, you could always find something, but it's not bad. And and I'm glad that um, that they listen, you know, and that they have this group to do that. And that um, you know, and and I I would imagine that they sourced people who are connected, you know, in other words, if you have a large Twitter following, that kind of thing, so you could, obviously, you know, if you as somebody doing the QBC, if you're going to say, hey, this thing's pretty cool, they, you know, they ask me questions, and I give them input, and I've actually seen a few of my suggestions implemented, and if you can get that word out to thousands upon thousands of people, it's going to spread, and, um, and you know, hopefully the perception will be the Mets are listening, so that's good, no, very good. Uh, Mike, go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to play conspiracy theories, you know, Keep your friends close to keep your enemies closer. I, I don't like the idea of them trying to control the message. I'd rather this be a, a grassroots rebellion like the QBC as opposed to some corporate human resources endeavor. That's my fear, and, and that's, the, that, that, that's the picture I paint uh, of them trying to involve themselves in any, in any such endeavor. Uh, I don't um, trust them. Uh, I think they're too terribly corporate and out of touch, and I will be corrected, I'm sure, by you. But that's my impression, and not me personally. I would, I would definitely try to keep that away from them and keep this strictly on the fan side. Um, Sam, you, you've known me pretty well, and you've known the interactions I've had with the Mets. Do I back down from them at all? No, that's for that's for sure not. So now, with me being in that in that um, the fan advisory board and dealing with them, I um, I let them know what, what I see is going wrong. And there's even some, you know, the first couple of days that we're doing, uh, we had other, other people that were treating it like a, a fan page and not a fan advisory board. And I started calling people out on that too. I'm like, we're here to try to make the fan experience better. I don't care about, you know, oh, you know, Justin Wilson had a nice game the other day. It's like, let's, this is what we're here for. We're trying to make, you know, the experience better for our fellow fans. That's what it is. And the Mets, like, I'm telling you, I go back and forth with them all the time. And, you know, I if they do something good, I tell them that they do something good. If they, if they do something, like, boneheaded, 
I kill him on it. And um, with, like, the whole QBC, it's one of those things where if I can make the QBC better for the, you know, my fellow fans, I'm going to try to make it better. I'm also not going to let somebody else dictate dictate to me what my and my partner Dan's vision for the QBC is. You know, we we have the Mets fans that we have the Mets executives come. You know, we ask them real questions. We don't sugarcoat it. We ask them, this is what, you know, we know you can't answer this, but we're going to try to put this question out to you. And if you can't answer it, please answer. You know, we don't, I mean, like, even with the SNY being like, you know, a sponsor, we, we just keep doing what we want to do. They don't tell us what we can or can't do. I actually told them that since they don't use, uh, they don't use, um, Union cameramen that they can't broadcast from there. They can webcast, but they can't broadcast because I'm union and I, I can't condone that. And they still come along and they still, you know, are the the president, you know, the sponsor. And we have that kind of relationship where they respect us with that and we respect them that you know we're not going to go on a tirade with them, but we're going to treat them with respect, but we're not going to sugarcoat stuff. Mike, would you like to, to follow up with that? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's very comforting to know. Uh, nothing more needs to be said. He said it very, very poignantly. Uh, you know, I stand corrected as I knew I would be. Like I said, I wanted to play contrarian and conspiracy theorist. So, Keith, that's excellent news. And I can only say keep up the great work and, and keep the pressure on. Thanks. And... I'm going to press the reset button here. You have been listening to a Metsian podcast, and we're so grateful that you have. It's it's quite the uh, it's quite the next few days that we're going to be uh, we're going to be looking at, and and we're staring down the barrel of the gun as to exactly how this entire thing is going to play out. I also just uh, before we we wrap it up because we're going to make it a, a short one on on, on this. Uh, this front with uh, the trade deadline looming. Um, but something that was crazy uh, that I had no idea until this trade went down was that Marcus Stroman was at the no-hitter uh, for the Mets, the, the, uh, the no-hon, if you will. It, it seems like we – I'm going to be very interested, you guys, to hear what he has to say. Uh, when he puts that jersey on, you know, and, and, and to see exactly what his deal is. Um, I, I, I'm, it's not like he shouted out I was a big Mets fan uh, with that tweet, but he was in that jacket, and, and it's, it's very uh, – I'm very curious. I always like to, to hear and, – and that's one of the reasons why I always like that Todd Frazier spurned the Yankees to come to the Mets, even though maybe the Yankees just didn't want to deal – with uh, with his asking price, but um, you know he grew. He apparently grew up this big Derek Jeter fan. He grew up a, a big fan of the uh, of the New York Yankees, and then he came to the the Mets after being a Yankee. And and um, I you know it, I I even though it shouldn't be the selling point, obviously you know it's the biggest selling point is the fact that Marcus Stroman is a great pitcher. Uh, but I think it does add a, a little bit of spice if they grew up rooting for the team. And, and it's one of the reasons why we love Steven Matz. And actually, that's a great place to finish uh, because Steven Matz had an excellent game last night. And um, I'll, I'll start with you, Keith, and then 
uh, both to the, the people who I know were there. Uh, um, you know, Stephen Massey's had an up-and-down career as a New York Mets. He hasn't been able to, to uh, uh, settle in, but last night, you know, under 100 pitches, he was as efficient as ever. Yeah, he's he's a tough one. Um, I think sometimes it's mechanical with him, sometimes it's mental. I think if he thinks of himself as a, a four or five pitcher, might take some uh, pressure off of him. And if he does that, he might be able to keep, you know, pitching, pitching well without putting so much stuff, so much on his shoulders. I think he wants to do well here. He wants to impress, you know, his friends from Long Island. He wants to impress the New Yorkers because he's a New Yorker. Um, so I think he could definitely be a continuing piece in this Mets team, but I think he's just got to take the, uh, the pressure off of himself. Uh, Rich and Mike, and, and we can start with Rich. You guys want to tag team this one. Um, you you were there watching uh, in the stands together. Uh, what, what did you see out of Stephen Matt last night? Well, I, I saw something that I've wanted to see since June of 2015 when he made his debut. And, you know, a lefty who can go out there and is capable of dominating, and he finally did. Obviously, it was the best game he's pitched in the major leagues. And, and we've seen little spurts of this from Steven Matz over the years. And we've seen him go out there, maybe, you know, have six good innings or so. But then there was the, you know, the evil twin. You know, Steven Matz's evil twin was the guy who, the minute something went wrong, would absolutely, you know, just melt. And, and Mike, we saw it last night. I think it was it was fairly early in the game, maybe the fourth inning or so, maybe fourth or fifth. When Frazier made the error on the the leadoff guy was up, Frazier made an error. It's like, oh boy, Mast is going to blow up. And I believe he went two and zero in the next hitter, but then he got that guy to hit into a double play. So, in summary, my thoughts would be, it's been a long time coming, but but that's what Steven Mast was built up to be before he came up. Was this guy's really something? And it was, it was great to finally see it. And the the exclamation point for me was that he did have a little bit of adversity, he had that Frazier error, and instead of sulking and going absolutely berserk and losing his, his shit, so to speak, he was able to settle in, and he was able to pitch a wonderful game. So I just want to see more of it. Mike, run with it. I think Stephen Matz in the conversation between the micro and the macro. Last night was a great outing his first complete game shot out of his career uh, in and of itself, you know, a gem, but he was pitching against the pirates. They just happened to be in last place of the central division. Uh, and I only say that just to, you know, sprinkle in a little context uh, with regards to his season and his short career thus far. I agree with Keith in the fact that I believe some of his problems are mental Uh I don't trust the little things rattling around in his elbow. And he's still, you know, as a fan, he's still earning my respect. I don't have that overwhelming trust uh, in Matt's that I would have, say, for another pitcher. And I'm concerned, you know, heading into next season. All right, now we have Stroman, yes. Uh, But we're potentially heading into next season with Stroman, DeGrom, and Matt's. Uh, so he's graduating 
but only uh, through a vehicle of subtraction. So uh, I'm a little concerned. Uh, I, I think we're throwing too much in his lap, and I say that just because of my level of trust. Uh, you know, I could be, I could, I, I, I could be convinced otherwise with a good argument. Well said. Uh, you know, it, it, and I, a lot of what we're going to be seeing uh, from the Mets next year is going to be dictated in the next two days, and especially now because. The trade deadline has been shortened. Uh, there is no waiver deadline, and we are getting what we are going to, to see for the rest of the season immediately. Uh, August will be, you know, much more like September, other than the whole 40-man roster thing. Um, but uh, that leads us to our last word. But before we do, I want to go back, back to Keith and, first of all, of course, say thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and without further ado, once more, sir, Tell everybody where they can uh, they can find you as well as the uh, overall shameless plug. All right, so uh, queensbaseballconvention.com, that's where you get all your news about the QBC and what's coming up and uh, what's happening. You got my blog at themediagoon.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at mediagoon, and then you can find the uh, QBC at, at qbconvention on Twitter. That's great, and keep up the good work with that, man. It's, it's such a blast, and, and I'm fortunate that I have not been able to, to go uh, for, for a few years now, but um, hopefully I'll be able to come this January. So, uh, again, keep up the great work. And, and uh, without further ado, Keith, what is your last word? My last word is, as usual, just try to keep the faith with the team, no matter if they suck or if they're good. You enjoy going to the games just to hang out with friends and watch baseball, do it. Don't let people get, you know, get you upset about it. Uh, just enjoy what you like, and everything will eventually work out with this team. Those are fantastic words. I appreciate that. It's always good to keep optimistic, as cynical as uh, some of us can get on here sometimes. Uh, Rich, what is your last word? Well, I feel like I'm working at a deli, Sam. My next word is next, question mark. Um, it, what's coming next? I, I can't wait to see it. I, there is no way. Uh, you know, I know we shouldn't speak in absolutes, but there is no way possible that there's not another move coming. I don't know if it's Diaz. I don't know if it's Frazier Vargas. Wheeler, Syndergaard, something. Something is coming, and I, I'm very intrigued to see what's coming next. So, Maybe it'll happen before we go to bed tonight. Maybe it'll happen Monday or Tuesday or 3.59 on Wednesday. But my next word is next. Let's see what happens next. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. (laughs) Maybe someday. Mike, what's your last word? My last word is thanks. Uh, Thanks, part A, goes to Keith. Uh, What a tremendous endeavor you've taken upon yourself. And I, I, I... do say you've done a tremendous job and like I said keep up the pressure and and I I think you speak to the fans very well Uh, and I will say thanks to last night I was at the game with Rich and uh, with Greg Prince and last night reminded me of what a great time uh, there is to be had you know watching Mets baseball with friends right back at you Mike thank you and I will say thank you to our listeners. We so very appreciate you joining us for a Messian podcast. 
who knows what is next, but we shall see very shortly. Two days left, three days if you – two and a half, actually, since it's a 4 p.m. deadline. Uh, we got the 29th, 30th, and 4 p.m. on the 31st. We will have an idea as to what the Mets uh, will look like for the remainder of the season and possibly a tiny bit beyond. So uh, without further ado, since I am the one hosting, I will pass it over to Rich to uh, finish the only way we know how. Only one way. Let's go, Mets. Let's go, Mets. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thanks again, Chief. Uh, Thank you, guys.